1: Well, welcome everyone once again to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, Again, we just uh, really enjoy talking to people and being able to share their stories uh, from across the country. Uh, A little update before we get started, Um, I believe uh, when we last talked about what's going on here with our pigs, we had uh, just bred two of our sows and uh, anxious to see if they had settled. Well, it looks like... um, I definitely have one that's settled. Uh, the second one, she had just a little bit of swelling, but she's not standing, no discharge, so um, we may be okay. I've got a marked on the calendar, and we'll we'll check again here in you know 21 days or you know, 25 days here. Let this cycle try to come back around and see. But uh, I think we're successful with at least one, so that puts us a farrowing date uh, the end of November, which will be uh, be interesting. I uh, usually don't farrow this time of year. Usually farrow in the spring, but uh, since we had such a lousy farrowing this spring, we figured let's uh, let's try something again, not wait a whole year again. So hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed and hopefully things will turn out well there. I'll obviously keep everyone posted as we go along. Well, on uh, today's interview, uh, we're talking with Grace Ruiz from a couple acre farm in Oregon and she has uh, American Guinea hogs. And it's funny, uh, you know, I record these podcasts, um, you know, a while back i kind of record them in, in batches and then uh, release them weekly as you all have seen and uh, i interviewed grace uh, probably two months ago and uh, i just got an inquiry on uh through the website one of you guys one of the listeners had reached out and said hey we'd like to hear somebody that's doing american guinea hog well here you go it just so happens that i got this request um uh, uh, in the email just uh, last week, I believe, and and just so happened that Grace's interview happened to be next on the schedule. So uh, I'd like to say that was planned, but uh, I can't take credit for that. So I won't give any more details on uh, what Grace has got going on. I'll let her tell her story on her own. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, we really appreciate everyone that takes the time to download our podcast and listen. Get just excited to have discussions with people across the country about uh, their efforts and experiences in raising pastured hogs. Tonight, I have with me Grace Ruiz from uh, Oregon, I believe. A couple acre farm is the name of her farm. So, Grace, welcome to the podcast.
2: Yeah. Hi, Troy. Thanks for having me on tonight.
1: All right. Well, welcome. I'm glad you took the time to, uh, to get on the phone with us here and have a conversation. So, you are in Oregon State, correct? Whereabouts in Oregon?
2: We are actually in Oregon City, so easy to remember. Hmm. All right. End of the Oregon Trail.
1: Okay. So that would be closer to the West Coast then? Yes. Very
2: good. Yep, pretty close to the West Coast, only about an hour and a half from the coast there.
1: Okay. So what's, um, what, uh, what's the landscape like around there?
2: Um, lots of trees, and um, everything's green for a lot of the year. Hmm. To the majority of the year so lots of evergreens and pine um it's great for growing pasture that's pretty awesome
1: okay are you uh, are you at decent elevation
2: um i think we're kind of in the middle because we're kind of an hour and a half down to the coast and an hour and a half up to the mountain up to mount hood
1: oh, okay so that would put you in the what two to four thousand foot range probably
2: I think so. Yeah, sounds right.
1: Okay. So, does that uh, being that close to the coast do you have uh, do you have decent winters or do you have a mild winter?
2: You know, it really depends. Our first winter on our farm, we didn't have any animals yet, but you know, it was around eighteen degrees for a few months, hmm. which is really rare. Um, but I would say we don't really go much under freezing.
1: Hmm. Oh, okay. That makes it nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the name of your farm is A Couple Acre Farm. So uh, the obvious question is, how big is your farm?
2: (laughs) So we are 2.3 acres. So we are definitely only a couple acres here.
1: Okay, very good. All right. And uh, I assume you you all live, you have a dwelling there on that 2.3 acres as well.
2: Yes, we do. We're actually on a really interesting space. Um, I kind of say that we're the farm in the suburbs. Um, Because we're on a farm, it's owned as a farm, but across the street we have um, a lot of estates that have been built that used to be a cattle ranch. Oh. Yeah, so we live in a traditional neighborhood. People walk their dogs and our kids can ride their bikes and we're close to our neighbors, Um, but we have lots of farm animals here.
1: Okay, so you said estates. Is that what we out east would call housing development? So you're talking small tracts of land with houses kind of built close to one another?
2: Yes, these are technically estates, I think, um, because they're on half an acre or bigger, and they're very large houses.
1: Ah, okay, yes. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, okay, wow, there's there's some stuff to unpack there, isn't there? So so has uh, pig farming rubbed against the, uh, the urban sprawl that's come your direction? Have you had any issues with that yet?
2: Um, it's funny, actually, the neighbors that we know and have talked to, we haven't met everybody, um, but we've been here for almost three years, so we've met quite a few, and they actually love that we farm here. Hmm. Um, they think it's great, they think the pigs are super cute, um, our boar is out the most, kind of, um, because he's out with the cows a lot, and so, yeah, I know they actually really enjoy it, they tell us that they're glad that we kept the farm and didn't subdivide, and so it's kind of interesting that they... Seem to enjoy kind of having both sides of life there.
1: Do, do you have any issues with uh, with neighbors' pets? You know, you, you mentioned dogs. Are, are there any issues with dogs getting in and, and messing with your your livestock?
2: Um, we've had a couple of loose dogs actually come on our property. But we eat dogs as well, um, and so that kind of seems to deter it. Um, but not. I mean, we to kind of walk around our yard. Had them go after any more animals or um, had any issues.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm losing you a little bit there with your uh, connection. But, uh, okay, so um, so give us a, a description, a, a little bit of your farm, your, your layout. I assume uh, relatively flat in your area, and, and, uh, and what kind of infrastructure do you have as far as buildings? And it sounds like you have some other livestock as well.
2: Yes, we do. So we have, so we're actually very flat. And um, our, it's mostly pasture, but we have a good-sized yard, good-sized garden. Um, So we do have, so we have the um, hogs, and then we also have two cows and chickens, um, and then not at this moment, but throughout the year, we also um, raised uh, pasture-raised chickens as well, the Cornish crosses.
1: Yeah, okay. So you don't have those on farm right now. Do you normally do those earlier in the spring or later in the fall?
2: So we already did um, some, but then we like to take a break in the middle and then do more um and so cuz we're not really big yet and so we do that and then we also do have a small barn and hay storage as well so we have a two stall barn and hay storage um on our property here as well.
1: All right. All right. Sounds like a good setup then. Okay, well yeah. let's let's talk about your uh, your pigs as far as the the, the breed and and you know, how many sows you have and you mentioned a boar already so we know you're you're breeding uh, with boar. <laughs> so uh, so let's talk about that. What's what's the breed that we're raising here?
2: Um, so we have American guinea hogs, hmm. and um, we kind of chose them um, just basically by, um, we bought the phone, and we, um, all of a sudden, the next spring, we bought it in November, and the next spring, there was all this grass, and we were like, oh, we just had a baby a couple weeks ago, so we should uh, find some animals to eat this grass, <laughs> <laughs> and so I just researched, um, Animals for a small farm that eat goose. And American guinea hogs were one that came up. um, And there's a farm really close to us, about 30 minutes away in Sandy, Oregon, that has been a big part of bringing the American guinea hogs back um, because the breed got really low. I think they got down to 100 in America or something. Hmm. And so we're like, well, they're close by, so we should go pick up, you know, uh, two guys. And so we got a male and a female and brought them home to eat the grass.
1: That's right. And and a lawnmower that produces bacon, you can't go wrong there, right?
2: Yeah. So we figured, you know, we also learned quickly that two uh, baby piglets do not eat a lot of grass on focus. So that was a good lesson. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we bought a steer after that. That's right.
1: Yeah. Like we're losing the we're losing the pigs in the tall grass. This isn't working.
2: Yeah, no, we couldn't even see them out there. We're like, where did they go? Um, <laughs> but it was really fun. I mean, yeah. So we went and picked him up when our baby was three weeks old, and uh, went and got him. And they registered, so we registered ours because hmm. um, we knew we knew that for me, a big part of farming is um, I love the meat, and I love you know I'm okay with that part of it. Um, but I love seeing the whole life cycle.
0: Right, yeah.
2: <laughs> and so I don't want to just do feeder um, because then I we wouldn't experience that. And so that's, you know, so we peaked for breeding and we kind of talked to them about, you know, what different lines they had because they kind of had a couple of different lines there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got a boar and a sow. It wasn't a sow yet, um, a gilt at the time. And so we got them. And we just kind of put them together, and we were like, well, this are will own enough and we'll help them out. And so that's what happened. Um, and we never even actually, because yeah. they're American Guinea Um we never really thought about doing AI. Yeah. Because everything that we read said that they're really good for you to just have a board, and they're really easy keepers. And so we were like, oh, okay, well, that's what we'll do.
1: Yeah, I understand the temperament of the American guinea is 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 pretty laid back. So, uh, and of course, their size—you're not dealing with a 600-pound animal with tusks that that could become mm-hmm. an issue.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. Well, you—it you, sounds like you've sa- you've said a couple a uh, couple points there that that uh, give us some clues. Sounds like you've got some help on the farm. So I assume you're not going it alone.
2: Um, no, I mean I do. I do most of it, Um, and then my husband does some. He does mostly projects, but I do all the animal care, Um, and then our nine-year-old takes care of the chickens.
1: All right, and you have uh, two younger daughters as well?
2: Yes, so we have a two-year-old and a (laughs) five-month-old.
1: So the two-year-old and the five-month-old, not necessarily the best farmhands right now, but I bet you get some great pictures, some cute pictures of those kids out with the farm animals.
2: Yes, we do. Yes, and they get packed around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. See the farm on the back of Mom's shoulders. Yep.
2: Yep. They spent a lot of time back there.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So, um, so how long? How many? Uh, how many farrowings have you had with your boar and your your sow so far?
2: So we've had two now.
1: Okay. Good. Good. And so last
2: year. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they weren't huge. She's. So, the lines that we picked, there's kind of ones that are a little bit more petite, but they have short noses. And so they tend to root a lot less. Hmm. Um, And then there's some that have longer noses. So, our bull has the longer nose, and our sow has the shorter nose, which also makes her a little on the smaller Mm -hmm. side. And so they generally only have between um, like five and eight piglets when they follow. So, um, we have, so we've raised five. And so right now we have five piglets that are twelve weeks old. And then this last February we butchered our first round of piglets that we raised from birth, you know, until butchering time. So we raised them for one year, basically exactly.
1: Okay. So they you're finishing in about twelve months then?
2: Yeah. Yeah, so, we finished in about twelve months.
1: Okay. So what what's what was your finish weight there at, at finishing? What were you trying to achieve either standing or hanging?
2: Well I <laughs> If we achieved what we want the first time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, we were simply just winging it. And um, we had an idea of how we wanted to feed. Um, and so we wanted to be really talking about how we fed. Uh, we wanted to stay away from any, even, you know, scraps or food bank foods that was GMO and things like that. Mm-hmm. So really trying to, we're not organic, but we're strictly GMO and soy free corn. Food. Okay. Um, and so it took. Anyway, so we had kind of a little bit of a range, um, but our finishing weights were between about 70 to 90 pounds hanging weight.
0: Okay.
1: Trying to do the math in my head. So that's what, uh, 130, 140 pounds?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. just reaching for my calculator. All right. We'll just wing it. Uh, So, yeah. So, um, yeah, the guinea guinea hog, of course, it doesn't finish large to begin with. That, That doesn't sound too bad. Right. How was the? Um, I know you you kept some of those back for your own consumption. How was your uh, how was your fat cap and how was your your marbling ratio and all that as far as um, your your appreciation for it?
2: Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it was yeah, it's great. We did hams and uh, we did summer sausage, and then you know we did pork chops and everything. Um, we kind of wanted to try, you know, pretty much everything that we could try that our butcher offered. Um, we, we wanted to see, so we kept two back for our family and then we did sell three, yeah. um, whole hogs. We just sold them whole, um, to people that we knew. Okay. And so, yeah. So I think it wasn't, I think it was a good finishing weight. Um, it was nice because, uh, I know that one of the issues with the American Guinea hog is that they can tend to get overweight really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't have that, we didn't have that issue because of how we were feeding.
1: Right. Yeah, ran them a and little bit. so that later. was
2: nice. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. Which was, yeah, it was intentional, but like I said, it was just, it was just trying it out. Um, but we did learn very quickly um, that that is a very, very expensive way to feed them.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> yes.
2: Um, so we are not repeating that. We actually have a completely different feeding program this year with these new boots that they're on.
1: Okay, well, let's talk about that is is um I assume that's what you have in your notes here about the the milk and the brewers grain.
2: Yeah, so we haven't added the brewers grain yet because they're still um they're not weaned yet they're small mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we are doing so we're getting buttermilk from a raw milk farm, um, someone that we know, and where we get milk from as well. Hmm. Um, they skim the cream. And so they have this basically non-fat or low-fat buttermilk um, that we go pick up every week.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. So we pick up anywhere between 45 and 60 gallons a week,
1: week. Weekly. Wow. That's that's a nice haul. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a lot. So it's amazing. And so since this opportunity came up, we were like, okay, we'll, we'll try it. So our goal is to try – we were going to do brewer's grain um, – I don't know. And we still might. We have mixed feelings. But our, our main goal that we want to do, we're trying to get to, is to actually grow fodder and mm-hmm. do the buttermilk with that.
0: Hmm. All right. Yep, yeah. We'll just...
2: So then they can stay, basically, they'll stay grain free if we can move
1: on. Yeah, okay. So, so backing up a little bit there, how does one transport uh, 40 to 60 gallons of uh, low fat buttermilk <laughs> weekly?
2: Well, thankfully, we we'll get a salary check an half ago. And so they actually have these giant 15-gallon, um, I don't know what they're called, jugs, kind of. But mm-hmm. they have that still have And so the farmer, um, he loads them for me. And, and then I go home and he gets home to work um, because he works 40 hours a week. And when he gets home, he unloads them into our quad trailer and then drives them out to the barn for me.
1: Okay. Okay. I lost you a little bit there with a the connection there. So if I'm understanding correctly, oh, okay. so, so you've got a pickup truck, the farmer has the 15 gallon, uh, the pails or the totes or whatever. So he's loading them in the truck for yeah. you. You're simply the transporter there, which works well. You drive back to the farm, husband yeah. gets home from work and unloads and takes them to the pigs. So do you, do yeah. you store, do you store all of that throughout the week or do you just feed it out all at once? How do how are you taking care of storage on that?
2: Yeah, so we, we just leave them in the shade. They're already mouths so they're already sour, True. essentially.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and so yeah, so we just, we leave them in the shade and then I just tip them into buckets every day. And, um, we've always, we don't do free feed, so I've always hand fed them, mm. always taken it in there and fed them. And, um, we like, there feels like there's less waste and then we can really control to make sure they're all getting enough food and kind of it, it makes us continuously check on our pigs as well.
1: Well, and that would really help as you mentioned earlier with the, um, uh, the Guinea hog putting on fat too quickly. If, if you had an unlimited ration, then you're not going to be able to control that nearly as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, neat.
1: So, uh, so obviously when the brewer's grain kicks in, if when, when that happens, I assume you have a, a local brewery that's just looking at getting rid of some byproduct there and you guys are going to be able to take advantage of that.
2: Yeah, so actually um, where we get um, the raw milk from, from I think they're Freeman Dairy, um, they actually go to Portland and they pick up from one of the brewers there. And so we'll get that for essentially just his, you know, a little bit of, because he has to do labor to go pick it up in Portland and go back. Um, And so I'll just be able to pick it up the same time that I go get the milk and put it loaded in with the tractor as well.
1: Oh, that's terribly convenient then. Very good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we're excited.
0: Right. So
2: our long term our long term goal with that though is that I actually got a cow specifically, a milking shorthorn, um, specifically so that we can be more self sufficient. And then once we AI her and she calves, um, then we'll be able to provide our own milk for all pigs.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so the the pigs are going to get first access to the milk or will the three children get access to the milk first? <laughs>
2: well, you know, we might let the kids have them
1: first. I was going to say because my two boys drink so many gallons of milk a, a week. I don't, I don't know that one cow could keep up with them. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, we'll see how that goes.
1: Right, right. Yeah, excellent. Well, that's that's great. I love the I love the idea of of being completely sufficient on that, and 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 really being able to control your feed cost. Now, obviously, as as scalability um, model comes into play. It really depends on on how much you want to grow, so that kind of be my next question. Yeah. do you see this as uh, you said you had sold uh, what three to some um, to some customers there as whole hogs yeah. um, which works works out great in that situation. I assume that helped offset if, if not even you know, go into the uh, into the black as far as uh, profitability goes and, and covering the cost of your expenses on the, on the front end. do you see that as something you want to continue doing at that scale? do you want to r- ramp it up more?
2: No, it's it's hard to tell so we since we bought our farm we've had two babies and then they said you know my husband works 40 hours a week and so i'm kind of doing the animal care during the day and he more does the projects or you know when a fence goes down he comes home to fix it um <laughs> but it's hard to we're kind of just trying trying to see um kind of what we want to specialize in um we really like being able to offer things that not everybody does um, you know, we're really specific about what we feed our animals. It's the same with the pasture-raised chickens. Um, we do the same—you know, non-GMO, soy-free, corn-free um, feed—and so it's hard to know how big we want to get because it feels like it might be hard to keep the same quality going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I can see over the years. You know, I think that maybe I don't know if we'll keep. We have one gilt in this um, batch of piglets. And so, and then we took the other four to get castrated. So they're borrowed now.
1: Oh, you don't, you don't castrate <laughs> yourself. Uh, okay.
2: <sighs> not yet. I <laughs> have not gotten really enough to do that. I'm actually a little bit poor. And um, we have a great farm vet um, that I actually take them to because it's more expensive to do a phone call. And since they're small, I can just put them in a dog channel. Anyway. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> to drop them in your purse and, if and you need
2: them I know. Yeah, when they're little, I could just carry them around. Um, and so I think it's, yeah, so I think that we would like to grow, but I think that we also want to make sure that we have a good feeding system in place that is sustainable Um, before we kind of just jump in, you know, and all of a sudden, I guess we just hear a lot of stories of all of a sudden they have 40 pigs and they don't have customers and um, all. <laughs> We, we kind of just want to make sure that we're able to kind of keep up with that.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point. That's uh, – man, I, I hear that way too much than, than you should, the uh, people – Again, it comes back to breed as well. You get some of these high production breeds that they think, "Oh, I've got a couple of gilts here, or I've got a sow that's pregnant, and, and another sow. I'm going to breed this, and the next thing you know, you, you've had you know, three pigs that throw good litters of ten plus, and you've you know thirty, forty pigs mm-hmm. immediately. And you're like, oh wow, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of pork on the farm right now. <laughs> so um, yeah, and that's yeah. and I think too, uh, I, I liked what you said there about. Um, Customers that know and like what you produce and you want to have something unique. And, and I think that's where uh, when you look at these smaller breeds and you can niche down and, and really have a niche mm-hmm. market, it makes it still cost effective. Uh, you, you, you don't You don't lose out on being small scale because you have such a specialty product. And you have usually in those situations, you have pretty loyal customers too that are always going to come back.
2: Yeah, and we really do. I mean, we have amazing customers that buy our clothes, that buy our chickens. That um, my nine-year-old has an egg-selling business, so she does that. Yeah. And yeah. So it's been great.
1: Well, excellent. So, um, so your overall opinion on the American Guinea? You you you're into it a couple years now. Uh, do you think that is the breed long term? Do you do you look at maybe adding different uh, different breeds? Going to try some other heritage breeds? or Are you going to just stick with the Guinea?
2: You know, I actually think we're just going to stick with the guinea hogs. I really like them. Um, I think that they're super cute, obviously. It's terrifying when they're born because they're so small. (laughs) 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 They're like, you know, you kitten when they're born. Right. feels like. Um, But, yeah, we really like them. And the more, actually, it's funny because we kind of went into it not really knowing um, a lot other than the fact that we read that they grazed instead of rooting. And so we thought that sounded good. Um, But the more we've learned about them, the more we love them. And also, um, we've now started cooking with lard, which is great. I love making tortillas with lard. Mm. Um, they're pretty much the best thing I've ever eaten. And then also, I started making soap with lard as
1: well. Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: And so, yeah, so I think that we're probably going to keep, I don't know, I kind of, I like the idea of having, um, you know, just one breed instead of mixing. I know people have different opinions about that. Um, but I think it's just kind of fun to have a registered line um, that we can keep and just see how it goes. And we obviously haven't had to trade out anyone yet. You know, our sow and our boar are still only a couple of years old. Um, so that will be, I don't know, that will be hard. They have names: Wilburn Fern.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: And, <laughs> so, you know, we don't name the piglets because we know that we're not keeping any of them.
1: Right. <laughs> but yeah.
2: can't tell them apart.
1: Yeah. Well, excellent so and i and I guess obviously with a registered uh, with a registered pair there then if you needed to you you'd assume have a potential market for selling uh, uh wean pigs if if people so desired
2: yeah, yeah, we could yeah if I think if someone expressed interest in um in, you know and you know, that um, then we'd be able to offer that so far right now, we've just pretty quickly castrated because we wanted to keep them for meat and they haven't been very large litters.
0: Yeah.
2: And so that's kind of so far that's the direction that we've gone.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So the uh so do they uh, have access to the pasture with with the cows with or with the cow and with with other livestock? Do you just let them all kind of hang out together or do you have them in their own in their own paddocks?
2: So we've learned with the pigs that we um we rotate them a lot. And we don't tend to keep them with the cows because um we're worried about them stuffing on the piglets. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It might not happen, but um, we have a Dexter cow and then our American shorthorn. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, our milking shorthorn. Anyway, and so we have, we do portable netting. We do hog netting. Um, and so it works well because then we just move them around and we can move them to new pasture. And in the winter, you know, we have kind of a drier area that we can put them in. Um, our... Our farm is actually already sectioned into five different pastures, and so that keeps it pretty easy to be able to keep the hogs in one. Um, The boar, a lot of times, he'll be with the cows um, because we don't just leave him with, because we only want to do one litter a year right now, and so we don't just keep him with the sow. They're only together for part of the year.
1: So, uh, so how do you, how do you manage that? So obviously, uh, fern comes into cycle at every, uh, I assume American guineas, like everyone else, every 21 days or so. Yeah. So, um, uh, is Wilbur the most frustrated pig on the farm for the majority of the year? Or does he, does he keep a good distance? Do you have any issues of him, uh, breaking fence or getting through?
2: No, he doesn't even try to break the fence. Um, he, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. He, he's super, he's actually really lazy. Um, <laughs> 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 so, yeah, he kind of does, hangs out, and he likes his belly rub sometimes, and we use the same for him. It's just a 20-inch hog netting from Primer Lane, and we have electric fences all along the property, so we just hook it onto one of our electric fences, and we move him as well. Yeah. Um, he doesn't get rotated as much because he's not growing. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> he's a pretty easy keeper. Um, but, yeah, no, he doesn't fine. He doesn't really seem to get um He got annoyed one time when she was in heat and she broke out hmm. um, because we didn't have the fencing up. She was in a different field and we didn't know she could go under the gate. <laughs> yeah, uh, so she took a trip, but they were still separated um, by the fencing. But yeah, they seem know if all American guinea hogs are like that, but they even the fence because they know that they'll get shocked and so
0: they just stay back they give
1: it a good you know one or two feet right away from it yeah I've, I've discovered with with my herds over the years that um a good a good hot fence i mean pigs are smart they can remember that and and i can even mm-hmm. walk through the pasture with just a piece of fence wire in my hand and they'll back up away from me they they definitely understand oh. understand what that is uh, so yeah as yeah. long as it stays hot then you've uh you've got a a, a, a sequestered pig there, yeah well all right um well let's uh let's talk uh, going down here so you you ended up uh, this year selling three as uh, as holes, so uh was yeah. how did how did you find your buyers? was that just word of mouth since you're dealing with just a couple handful or did you do any advertising there
2: um so we actually haven't done any advertising. we happen to be um in the community where a lot. Of of people we know, um, they're very, um, thoughtful about how they eat and what they eat. Um, and so immediately
0: mm-hmm.
2: when we told our friends, and when we told them we're going to sell some chickens, you know, they saw their little right then.
0: <laughs>
2: and so it was, yeah, I didn't advertise at all. I just mentioned that we were going to sell them after our chickens were born and they were like, we want to be on the list. So we took deposits and um, and had also three sold in, you know, I think a couple of weeks.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I think in that situation, it sounds like with where your farm is and located to that development, you could just grill some pork chops out one night and just put a sign out, and the, the aroma would just draw <laughs> everybody in.
2: yeah, well, we, we have had our neighbors start asking. I think that because we haven't advertised, some people don't realize that we actually sell certain things here. Mm-hmm. Um, even the chickens, you know, those also. We of the chickens on site here, the pastured chickens. Yeah, so they'll see us, and then so they started asking, oh, do you sell? Oh, okay. do You know, sell some, or is it just for your family?" So we'll say, "Oh no, we sell them," and and so yeah, we've never we've always sold as many as we wanted to sell without any advertising, no, with just bet. saying, "Oh, we have chickens for sale again."
1: Yeah, and there's you know there's some beauty in, in 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 deliberately staying small like that and saying well let's let's just do what the market will bear in our area because it can really reduce yeah. a lot of stress and and really keep things at the scale that you you want you know, the extra income's great yeah. and uh, take advantage of that yeah so when it comes to processing uh, I've, I've, several people I've talked to on the west coast seem to have the ability uh, the laws allow an on-site uh, processor to come on and at least do the dispatching, eviscerating, and then take them to the butcher. In Oregon, do you have mm-hmm. that ability as well?
2: Yes, we do. It's it's great. Yeah, we've used a mobile butcher every time. We don't have to take them anywhere.
1: Oh, so they um, and so, it's
2: just, it's oh was that Sorry.
1: Uh, I was saying so in that situation, they're doing the whole process on farm. Then
2: no, so they call a mobile butcher. Uh, that's just what we call them here. So they come here and they do the dispatch. And they, you know, I don't know what they do with the pigs. Um, I think they just basically everything extra is taken off, and then they hang them in the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, take them, then they take them to where they actually finish processing. Yes. So then where they package and make the sausage and make the hams and all of that.
1: Gotcha. So they're they're probably dispatching, um, probably skinning out. I don't know if they're scalding and scraping mobile, but maybe they are. And then uh, have no, them. they don't
2: do that. Yeah,
1: so they're having the pigs and then taking them to the butcher where they'll be finalized. Okay. Yeah. Do you Yeah,
2: and so it's yeah, it's great.
1: Yeah, so in that situation, I assume you don't even have to deal with any of the any of the waste or the byproduct. They're taking that out and 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 mm-hmm. discarding that themselves. Yeah. All right, well, good deal. Yeah,
2: but that, yeah, we can butcher. Um, so for pigs, I mean, we could butcher our own, obviously, but so for selling them, we have to have a butcher do it. Yeah. Um, but then the chickens we can actually raise, and as long as we direct sell from our farm, we can butcher those ourselves and sell them up to I think a thousand a year in Oregon. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know a lot of a lot of states have that same. We have the same in West Virginia. Yeah. We could We can do a thousand. We can actually do a twenty thousand with another exemption. But usually everyone hits that that thousand small farm.
2: <laughs> twenty thousand is a lot of birds.
1: Yeah, I haven't done twenty thousand. I've done nine hundred in one year, but I've not done uh, twenty thousand. So.
2: Oh, man. Our record is 200 so far, so <laughs> we're sticking with that for the moment. But I think that might get a little
1: bit bigger, too. We'll see. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Okay. Well, great. So uh, as far as your, your butcher goes, uh, I assume you have access to, to multiple butchers. How did, how did you go about shopping your butcher, or did, or are we kind of limited on options?
2: Um, actually, we have several options, but they do um, book out really fast. I mean you have to call six months before, so you better hope that your animal's ready <laughs> because they're very busy. Our original butcher that we used for um for our steer the first year that we were here um, he actually sold his business um, and so but I picked him um just actually honestly, I saw him on Facebook and i he was a younger guy he was our age and um, had younger kids and homeschooled. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, We did go and try. So he actually sold retail pasture-raised pork. Um, He would sell like salami and pepperoni and things like that. Um, So I went and bought some bacon and I think some salami from him to try it first, just to see what I thought of it. Um, And so that's how we ended up hiring him. But then right when I was going to make my appointment for our products, he told me that he was selling his business. Oh, wow. um, I know. Yeah. And so, um, but then he recommended um, somebody else in meeting place in Hillsboro. And so, yes, yeah, so I just researched them. Um, and I always talk to them quite a bit when they come out um, before they do the dispatch. And even on the phone, uh, it's really important to us that a, that we're there. Um, I've been there for, the steer and for the hogs, um, we just, you know, we, it's, we've spent a year raising them long time and we just want to make sure that everything's done ethically and done well. Um, you know, it's kind of like our way of showing respect to the animals.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. one of the, that seems to be the, the common thread, no matter who I'm talking to, uh, as a, as a pork producer, um, because of the way the laws are set up and the way we, we set up our facilities it's it's you do all this work, you raise the hog you 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 nurture it, you feed it you do all the things for for you know six months to a year, and then you have to hand it off to uh, quote unquote a total stranger to make sure they finish it well and that's you know, everyone has a butcher story everyone has the uh, the horror story everyone has a success story so it's you know it's always good to have that relationship with uh, with your butcher is is this butcher yeah. you're using is is are they usDA
2: no, they're not USDA, so we can't sell just cuts. We do have a USDA here, but you can't do mobile butcher then. Yeah. Um, and since we don't necessarily, I don't necessarily want to just go sell a package of pork chops, Um It's it's simpler since we have people to buy whole hogs. It's simpler to just do that. And so, at some point, we've we've gone back and forth. We've talked
0: about maybe
1: doing USDA, but then we would have to take them there. Right. Yes, it brings in transport and logistic concerns at that point. Exactly. Yeah, you know that, and that's the subject for an entire podcast. Maybe one of these days we'll get multiple people to discuss that because uh, we've done both as well. And looking at you know, the value added of selling retail, you obviously get more money for uh, your poundage of mm-hmm. pork. But there's the management you know where if i've got if i 've got twenty hogs and i 'm going to sell as holes and halves, then I need you know twenty to forty customers. but if i 'm going to take all those same hogs and bust them into um, individual cuts, then I need hundreds of customers uh, yeah. necessarily to sell that. so it, it it adds to the management and and you know by the time you absorb the processing fees, mark up the the Costs the, the way you need to. It, it it sometimes makes it more convenient just to do the whole and half and walk away at the end of the processing day with a uh, water cash in your pocket.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you know if we were interested in doing the farmers market, you know, I know there's a farm who is, that does USDA because they want to go to the farmers market and sell cuts, you mm-hmm. know, and sell these things. Um, but at this point with our family and the fact that my husband does work forty hours. This isn't his job. Um, you know, the second job. So I, right. you know, I don't, I'm not willing to give up my Saturdays as a family to be able to go sell that.
1: Yeah, that's that's always the downside of farmers markets. They really have to be successful to justify, uh, especially with a lot of us um, small farmers or hobby farmers, is you know, whatever term you want to use, where you you do have a day job or, or something in the week that keeps you tied up. It's it's tough to burn up every Saturday to to have the good representation of the farmers markets that you should. Yeah, exactly. Well, all right. Well, um, Grace, I want to ask you a question that, uh, as we wrap up here, I ask you a question that I ask everyone that comes on the podcast. So, what is your best experience or your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Oh
2: man! I mean, I think that my favorite part is just is the benefits that I see from it for our family and for the hogs. I mean, it's been an amazing. Amazing difference, like having animals that are outside. You know, they're getting those omega foods getting that vitamin D, and just how it's so good for us. I mean, I don't even get sunburned anymore after eating pasture raised animals these last few years. Okay. Um yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I'm very fairytale. <laughs> I mean, it was it used to be a thing. You know, I mean, I would always get sunburned, and literally the more like that we've switched, we now only do pasture raised. I mean, our free. Chicken and chickens, all from our farm. And it's like, you know, I mean, it just it changes so much. And so seeing these real results of how we raise our animals, you know, in a natural state, um, it just, it's just amazing to me. And honestly, the longer we tell them, that the more we've learned about these benefits that we didn't even know jumping into it. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting because I grew up in the country, I grew up on raw milk, and you know, on you know, having a a big garden and Um, and we live down the road from a pig farmer.
1: Wait a minute, you grew and, up on it, you grew up on raw milk and you're not dead yet?
2: <laughs> I know, right? So sure. I'm still alive, I'm still here, Ex- pretty sure.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: But the pig farm down the road, I never even thought about it, but they were completely on concrete indoors. Hmm. And I never even thought about that, but now you know, have, you know memories of seeing those pigs compared to our you know American guinea hogs outside eating grass, even how we feel. You know, you go to a restaurant and eat bacon, and <laughs> um, you know, but here it's like we eat bacon and it looks amazing, and it's so you know like green and it's so energetic, and it's just an astronomical difference. You know, and so it's like the health of the kids and then our health as people. It's just it's a huge difference. When I just,
1: i think that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's interesting—the the symbiotic connection between our food and our health. And it's—it's it's a shame that we've um, uh, digressed so much in culture that we—that everyone doesn't see that obvious connection, and then we have to reiterate and restate that that there is a direct connection to what we eat and how we feel and, and how our bodies respond to that.
2: Yeah, and I just I don't know we're really just, we're really disconnected as a culture. I think especially we don't live anywhere else, so I don't know. Um, just we're so disconnected from our food, and that's one of the main reasons that we want the farm, so that for ourselves and our kids, that we wouldn't be disconnected from that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, very good. Well, Grace, I appreciate your time. I Appreciate you coming on the podcast with us and, and sharing your experience there in Oregon. Uh, it's my understanding, as as we were talking before we started recording, you have a a new Facebook page for the farm. Um, yes. uh, that, yeah. So and people can find you on Facebook at a couple acre farm. Just uh, just use the search bar there on Facebook for a couple acre farm in Oregon, and you'll see them pop up there, and you can see some pictures of their guinea hogs and their setup. And um, we really appreciate uh, you taking the time to be uh, to be interviewed today. Oh, thanks for having me on. It
2: was fun.
1: All right. Well, um, you take care now. We'll, we'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay. Thanks, Troy. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
1: Well, all right. Well, that was, uh, that was a really good interview. I really appreciated Grace uh, coming on and talking with us and, and being able to share her, uh, her story and her situation there. If you want to know more information about, uh, Grace and her operation, I'll, uh, leave the information below in the show description and you can check that out. Um, looking for another batch of interviews uh, to go along Uh, and also comment if you would if you if you don't mind go to redtoolhouse.com use our contact form there uh, or you can use the pastured pig podcast contact form actually under that link uh, on our redtoolhouse.com website Um, looking at topic specific looking at additional people to interview and then uh, maybe even just discuss um, uh, I'd, i'd rather have a guest but if if I run out of guest opportunities, we may go topical with, uh, with some research and things that I've accumulated over the past year or so that uh, I think may be of interest to you all. So uh, feel free to comment and let us know what you think uh, as far as future topics go. Well, if you want to know more information about us, again, you can check us out at redtoolhouse.com on our website, or you can find us, uh, Red Tool House Homestead, on Facebook. And, of course, we have our YouTube channel as well, uh, which is Red Tool House Homestead. All right. Take care, everybody.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.